Well, good morning again, everyone. Uh, good to be back and good to see you all here. Um, why don't we quickly pray and then we can make a start on our passage this morning. Dearly Father, thank you for uh, our time here this morning. Thank you for the opportunity we have to gather together as your people uh, to worship you through song uh, and uh, through uh, praise uh, and as well as to receive what you have to say to us in your word. We just pray you'll be with us now. Please open our ears, our minds and our hearts uh, that we might uh, clearly understand uh, what you have written in 1 John, that we may apply it into our lives for our benefit and for your glory. And we pray all this in your heavenly, holy and almighty name. Amen. Uh, well, as was mentioned a little bit earlier on, it is the opening weeks of 2024. Uh, but what I want to do is I want to take you back to the last day of 2023. So hopefully you haven't written too many checks uh, as of yet. Um, I, want to, I want to talk about New Year's Eve. Uh, because I originally wrote this sermon for New Year's Eve when I first preached it. Uh, and this is how I started that sermon then. I'm going to try it. Hopefully it doesn't backfire. Uh, what I want to do is I want to start with a question to you all. Uh, and it's not rhetorical. So I'm going to throw it out. And if you are feeling bold enough to answer, you just put your hand up. And when I point to you, you just call it out. It's very easy, though. All I want to know is when you think of New Year's Eve... What is the first thing that pops into your mind? What comes to mind? What captures New Year's Eve for you? Party. Party, yep. So big party, some sort of celebration. Yeah, wait. Resolutions. Resolutions, yeah. So we're sort of looking more towards the, the new year. Levi? Fireworks. Fireworks, right? I think fireworks is maybe something that comes to a lot of our minds. Was there a hand at the back there? Fireworks. Fire, fireworks as well. Yeah. So I think for most of us, it is images of celebrating. Right, because that is what New Year's Eve is all about. And when we celebrate New Year's Eve, we're primarily celebrating two things. Uh, the first one, well, the second one's more important than the first, but there is two. Uh, we're celebrating the end of a year, right? The end of one time, uh, and we're and we're looking forward to the coming of a new one, right? We're looking forward to the new year. Now. That's not any profound observation that I'm making. I'm just basically telling you how a calendar works. Um, but the reason why I bring it up is when you kind of think about it, that is what being a Christian is kind of like. Uh, we're, we're living our lives sort of like in a constant New Year's Eve. We're, we're celebrating the end of one time, our time for Jesus, uh, and we're living our lives in anticipation towards uh, a new one. Uh, which isn't marked by a countdown and a big uh, roar of Happy New Year's. Uh, it's marked by the return of Christ Jesus. Everyone kind of clear with that? Everyone sort of see what I'm... Everyone tracking? All right, cool. Uh, because that is what our passage is all about this morning. It's all about uh, the second coming of Christ. Uh, and in our passage... Uh, we're told that there's only uh, two ways that we can come before God, whether it is at the second coming of Christ or if we pass away before that point. Uh, we will come before God either in confidence or we will shrink before him in shame. Uh, and that's not a point that is just uh, in this passage in the letter of John. Uh, John, the author, he keeps making this point over and over again. He keeps making... Uh, these really, really uh, harsh contrasts, these black and white 
comparison. So at the beginning of the letter, he starts talking about uh, that we're either in light or we're in darkness. And as we move on, we're either of the Father or we're of the world. And then in this sort of greater section that we're looking at, you're either righteous or you're unrighteous, right? You're lawless or, or sinful. Uh, we will either come before God in confidence or shame. Uh, and I think the point that John is trying to make is there's no gray area when it comes to God. There's only one of two camps that we will be in. So that is uh, the situation uh, posed to us in verse 28, uh, the beginning of our passage today. Uh, And I think sort of the logical progression of our thinking is sort of, well, how do I come before God in confidence? Because the alternative doesn't sound all that great, right? Because when we start thinking about the second coming of Christ and we start thinking about, well, God's going to judge me at some point, we hear, we hear sort of phrases about shame, shrinking, and, and I think we can kind of get a little bit flustered when we read passages like this. Uh, but I think when we look at this, and with that in mind, we can easily lose sight of the really clear and simple instruction uh, that God tells us. See, at the beginning of verse 28, what ties this whole passage together is three Simple little words. Abide in him. Abide in Christ, or in the Greek, the original language, literally, to stay in him, to stay with him. That's all John tells us to do. Which is kind of interesting, right? That's a pretty simplistic thing to say. Uh, So why is that? right? Why does John tell us Uh, in light of the reality that all of us will come before God and in a moment, uh, in entire rest of our lives, the the rest of eternity will uh, be dictated, will either uh, be uh, wonderful or or terrible. Why does he give us such a simple instruction? Well, when we read the Bible, we are told that uh, God requires perfect righteousness. Uh, If we are to have any hope of coming before God in confidence, we have to be a perfectly righteous people. Uh, However, we're also told in the Bible, in places like Romans 3, that no one is righteous, right? That no ordinary person in and of themselves, on their own merit, on their own account, is seen as right in the eyes of God. Uh, So... Why is it that we're told to abide in Christ? Well, there is no ordinary human being uh, righteous in themselves. There's no one righteous apart from God. But why we're told to abide in Christ is because Jesus is God the Son. Right? He is God, and as we celebrated about, what, three, just over three weeks ago, uh, he was sent here by the Father to save us, to make us righteous people. At the beginning of uh, the chapter in chapter 2, we didn't read it, but uh, John uh, tells us this. He calls Jesus, he says, Jesus Christ the righteous. That's how he refers to him. Uh, He is the only one righteous, and righteousness can only be found in him. Uh, If we 
are to be seen as right, if we want to make it to heaven with God, we have to be in Christ. We have to abide in him. And plenty of passages tells, tells us how this happens, but uh, one Corinth, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, it says, uh, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, if we abide in Christ, uh, Jesus literally... He, he covers us in his own righteousness. He imputes his righteousness upon us so that God will see us as righteous. In this small five-chapter letter, John tells us to abide 24 times. He makes it completely clear that it is the fundamental characteristic of anyone who desires to be in heaven, of anyone who desires to be with God forever. So again, I think like our next logical sort of progression of thinking is, well, what does it mean to abide in Christ? Well, I think there's two things, uh, what that might mean or what it does mean, and they're inseparable, but I think it's okay to characterize them. Uh, firstly, it means that we have faith in him, that uh, we take him as our Lord and saviour, that we admit that we aren't righteous people and that we can only be righteous if we are in him. Uh, but secondly, abiding also encapsulates our union that we have with Christ, right? how we know him, how we want to know him more, how we desire to do his will. It, it, it sort of captures the, the unique and special relationship that we have with him. So that is the only way that we could come before God in confidence is as if we are abiding in Christ. And you know, it's pretty interesting that uh, we view God differently to this, right? That we uh, sometimes we sort of, you know, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, we sort of slip into the thinking of, well, if I'm just good enough, God will let me into heaven and, and allow me to be with him forever. But I think that's pretty interesting because that's actually not how life works, is it? Right? That's not how relationships work at all. And I kinda, I'll, gi I'll give you a, a picture, maybe this will help you out a little bit. Uh, let's say it's a, a party or, or let's say, I don't know, something, let's say it's a wedding or a wedding reception. Let's go wedding reception. Right? And there's a man at the door, he's got a guest list. Uh, and you go up to uh, this man, and your name's not on the list. I don't think anyone has ever been let into a wedding reception by telling, telling that guy all the good things that he's done. Right? Because that's not how that works, is it? That's not how relationships work. In fact, the reason why uh, you would be invited, why your name would be on the guest list, is because you know that person, uh, and because they know you, because uh, you're important to, to each other. There's some sort of meaningful relationship there. And whether it's friend circles or family, in some ways you belong to them and they belong to you. Right? Uh, and that's how relationships work. And I think all of us, as um, the beginning of Genesis tells us, we're all made in the image of God. We're all made as uh, relational beings. So why would we think that God is any different? 
And as you kind of scan over the Bible, God is constantly depicting himself like that, as a God who wants to have a relationship with his people. That's why John tells us to abide in Christ, uh, because that is the only way that we will get to heaven. The only way that we will come before God in confidence is if we know him, if we belong to him, if we abide in him. And then John goes on, he tells us uh, that uh, if we abide in Christ, uh, we'll know that we're doing that uh, because of the evidence in our lives. He tells us we'll know if we are practicing righteousness, uh, if righteousness can be observed in our day-to-day lives. And again, so righteousness is a big word. It sort of captions a lot, right? Um, So what does it mean to practice righteousness? Well, in 1 John... Uh, he kind of emphasizes two things. He tells us uh, to be righteous is uh, someone who loves the Lord God, who actually loves him, and who loves his brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, that, uh, that is the mark of someone who belongs to Christ. That is uh, someone who practices righteousness. And this is anything new. Back in the Gospel of John in chapter 15, Jesus himself tells us this. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If we belong to him, we will reflect Christ in our lives. And as we sort of go on into verse 29, we're told that this is reality because we're literally born of him. If we abide in him, we are born of Christ. Uh, Which brings us to uh, verse 1 of chapter 3, which I think is a really great verse to read. Because if you ever read this uh, letter in one go, uh, which I recommend, it'll take you about 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, You're kind of reading it through and uh, you sort of, as you're reading it, you see that John, he kind of, it's as if he finishes the last words of verse 29 uh, and then he's just kind of taken aback by what he's written, right? He's sort of blown away by the reality that we might be born of him. Uh, So much so that he kind of goes on a three or four verse detour to just reflect on how amazing that is. And I'll reread verse 1, and we can sort of talk about it. It says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Uh, John here, he wants wants us to know how deeply loved we are by God, uh, that through his Son, we would actually be adopted into his family, that we would actually become children of God. Uh, He wants to show us and and emphasize the reality that God bestows upon us, bestows upon Christians, uh, the most honorable title, the most prestigious position that any human could ever receive, to be God's children. That's pretty amazing to think about, right? I, I don't think we can really comprehend what that means, but that is really amazing. I think what kind of makes it more amazing is when you think about that God 
doesn't have to do that, right? I mean, he doesn't have to do anything for us because we are sinful uh, people who actively turn away from him. Right? He could have left us to our sinfulness and our own destruction. He could have destroyed us if he wanted to, um, but he didn't do that. And look, maybe we could somehow reason that out of pity, uh, God would save us from our sin and from death. Right? Or maybe out of charity, he would uh, save us from hell. But there's absolutely no reason that he would adopt us into his family, that he would make us his children so that we might enjoy all of the wondrous goodness of God. Uh, it's, it's undeserved uh, and it's incomprehensible, incomprehensible outside of the amazing and great love that the Father has for us. We gain so much from being in Christ Jesus, from belonging to him, which is why as we read on, we see, uh, we're told by John that the world does not know us because of this, uh, because it didn't know him, right? That we will be strangers of the world uh, because we don't belong to the world. We belong to God. Right, that the world will be opposed to us because we are the fathers. And as we sort of abide in him in this world, uh, because we belong to him, uh, we will go and abide and be with him forever. Uh, which is where our last two verses land us today. Verse 2 and 3. Uh, which is all about that reality. It's all about the fact that we will be with God in heaven. Now, the question of um, you know, heaven right, and, and what you're looking forward to the most about being there is a pretty interesting one. Uh, I have noticed that when you ask people that, uh, depending on what decade they were born in, uh, you kind of get common answers. right? So if someone was born or grew up in the 50s or the 60s, and when you ask them, one of the sort of popular answers is, well, I can't wait to see all of my family and my friends that I haven't seen in a long time. And as you kind of push forward into the 80s and the 90s, it's sort of all about everyone's uh, individual role, right? What we're going to be doing in heaven, how we're going to be serving God and how wonderful and great that will be. And then you kind of keep going into contemporary times. Uh, and it's all about travel, right? It's all about exploration of the new creation and seeing God's grand design. Uh, and none of those things are bad things. They're absolutely wonderful things to look forward to, and all of them are true. But if, if you haven't noticed already, all of those things are just uh, reflections and projections of what was culturally important to those people when they grew up, right? What was seen as important by the world around them. And again, there's nothing wrong with looking forward to those things. They're, they're wonderful. Uh, but what John wants us to look forward to the most in heaven, what he chooses to emphasize, uh, isn't something that we're familiar with. It's not something uh, that we've already experienced. Uh, he wants to uh, show us something brand new. He wants us to look forward to something that we've never seen. See, John tells us that the greatest thing that we will experience in heaven is God himself. 
And he chooses to emphasize the very first moment that we lay our eyes upon him. A moment known as the beatific vision, uh, which uh, very poorly translates into the blissfully joyous vision. English kind of struggles to to, uh, translate it. Uh, It talks about the moment where we will fix our eyes upon Christ for the first time uh, in heaven in all his wondrous glory. Uh, Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, face to face we will see God. Uh, It is the moment where we will enter into complete, unhindered, unrestricted, perfect and unmediated relationship with him where we will experience complete and total satisfaction, where we will see him as he is in all of his holiness. And then he kind of, he kind of keeps going, tells us why this is, how we would be able to do that. As we, as we read, he says, because we will be like he is. We will see him as he is because we will be like him. We will be glorified and perfect, are complete and holy, our sin totally done away with, our spirit so full of joy and satisfaction that there won't even be any room for fear or sadness, for anxiety or pain. Pure and holy, we will walk into the presence of God with full confidence and assurance. It's pretty crazy to think about, right? That reality, that that is installed for us. And I think uh, many of us, we don't really think about this. right? We don't really think about heavenly matters or what it will be like to be with God. Maybe that's just because we struggle to think about it. Or maybe it's because we're hesitant uh, because we don't want to sort of have our heads in the clouds uh, in such a way that we lose sight of what God has given us to do here in this life. But the Bible does tell us to look forward to that. It does tell us uh, to keep striving forward towards eternity, towards being with God forever. Right, to keep uh, moving forward in this life until we reach and meet our Creator and Saviour. And actually, there's nothing wrong with that, right? That's actually, you know, what greater desire is there? Why deny doing that? I think that is something we should do more and more. And I think it's a good and natural thing, right? We do this all the time, whether, uh, you know, when we hear someone doing something great, whether it's an art or sport or someone who's invented something brilliant, uh, we want to know that person, right? We want to see them. We want to know who they are and how... They have done this. And we will see and know the one who did all of this, who made everything around us, who did all of this for us. We will see him and know him. You know, I think even in this fallen world, uh, he has given... Excuse me. He has given us so many wonderful things, so many temporal blessings that we briefly experience uh, that might, just in a very, very small way, capture what that moment will be like. And I want to highlight how small of a glimpse that will be. 
I think it would be such an amazing sense of arrival, like if you've ever completed a project that you spent years working towards. Uh, in our sinless, perfected bodies, imagine the sense of relief that we will feel in that moment. Like if you've ever gone down to the beach and you've come out of the water and you've just lied on the warm sand, and for some reason, I don't know why, just for those 10 or 15 minutes, all the stresses of the world just leave your mind and don't exist. I imagine uh, the sense of satisfaction and life that we would feel, uh, like ice-cold water finally touching your mouth after a hard day's work. Uh, imagine hearing him, right? Imagine actually hearing God speak, right? Every word that he says uh, will be more delightful uh, than the noise a cricket ball makes coming off a bat for a six, all right? I don't even like cricket, but that, that's, that sound is just great. Uh, there would be an erupting sense of joy and excitement that marks our lifelong anticipation. Like if you've ever been to a music concert uh, and the, the band finally plays its headline song, and as those first three or four chords are strummed, the whole crowd just erupts in joy and you're just overwhelmed and taken by adrenaline. Uh, he would be more captivating than the most spectacular New Year's Eve light show. The sense of peace and serenity far greater than walking through uh, the quietest forest after it's just rained. Physically seeing and witnessing his glory would be so magnificent that if you could even dare look away, I think he would just be flanked by the most beautiful scenery, uh, you know, far greater than the most dusty pink sunsets with roaring, fiery clouds. We will be complete, uh, so filled up with righteousness, so overwhelmed by his glory, at the chief end of what we were created for, in heaven, dwelling and living with God. That's what's waiting for us at the end of this life. That's what we have to look forward to. Well, uh, to conclude... John, at the very beginning of this letter in chapter 1, he tells us that he's writing this uh, to Christians so that they may be filled with joy. And hopefully, you, you know, as you've heard this passage and maybe you reread it yourself, you are filled with joy at the reality of what we gain by abiding in Christ, that that is what we have to look forward to for the rest of eternity. But obviously, that is only joyous, uh, and wonderful news if you are abiding in him. Right? Now, I don't know everyone uh, in this room. I don't know where everyone is at, but maybe that's not you. Maybe uh, you haven't taken Christ as your saviour. Maybe you haven't made a commitment to him. And, and if that is you, well, you know, I don't, I don't know how well I've explained this. This is a, a complex sort of passage, but if you want to do that, and I encourage you to do that, then please come, come speak to me after the service, or Jared's also here. Come speak to us about that, uh, because it is a wonderful joy that we have and, and a spectacular hope that we find in Christ. Let's pray. Dearly Father, uh, thank you for sending your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, 
uh, to come and die for us and rise again and save us uh, and save all those who uh, belong to you, who abide in him. I wish pray uh, for us that we will continue to do that, uh, to remain steadfast in your word and live Christ-like lives, uh, not only for the rest of the day, but for uh, our day-to-day -day lives during the week. Uh, help us to keep striving forward uh, until we finally reach heaven, until we finally gaze upon you uh, and enjoy you and all your wondrous works for the rest of eternity. We pray all this in your heavenly, holy and almighty name. Amen.